here we are again. I was really uh, struggling. Uh, the sermon came really easy to prepare this time, but uh, as soon as it was finished, I was really struggling with whether or not this was the sermon I should preach, um, especially with there being guests and this isn't the sermon I would preach if it was the first time someone had ever heard me preach. But um, the songs and the testimonies, everything kind of was confirming that I should be preaching this. And uh, I'm really thankful for that. I also found out when you're nervous, you can add a falsetto to your voice really easily. But um, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to meet in your house, to hear your word. I pray that your word will come forth. Nothing that I've devised, nothing that, that comes from me or from my desires or anyone else's influence but yours. pray that your hand will be on each and every section of this sermon. And I pray that we will grow closer to you today and we'll be encouraged in you. I thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This sermon is titled Desperation and Hope. And I might speak a little fast and try and get through this because if we don't, it'd really be really depressing to end on desperation. But in the times we're in today, it doesn't take much to find something to be depressed about. You can look at the news and all there is in the news is, for the past six months at least, it's just, okay, here's what damage is going to be done by this virus. Here's what, uh, how many deaths to expect and how many suicides to expect because of a quarantine. There's riots over race. There's riots over people running out of toilet paper. There's something that everyone is writing about, something that everyone's upset about. And it has seemed like chaos. There's a bunch of people running around, doesn't matter what their point of view is, everybody's out just to destroy something. Everybody's out to tear someone down. But it's not chaos. There's, there's actually no such thing as chaos. Everything has a purpose. There's no such thing as a person without a teacher or a leader. So it doesn't matter what side we're on, what side of any argument. There's thousands of them out there today. It doesn't matter what side you're on. There's people out there you just wish weren't on your side just because of how they present their argument or something they said the day before or the week before, and you're just like, well, I agree with this, but I don't agree with that. So we can't be fooled into thinking that there's no purpose for what's happening. And I know some of the stuff I'm going to go over today, I went over in um, the sermon about the heart of an argument and some of the stuff on persecution, but I have to touch back on it to set the understanding of this one. And like I said in that argument, one when I was talking about arguing between Christians, was there's only two sides to any argument. There's God's side and there's the devil's side. And anyone who tries to convince you differently doesn't want it to be about Bible. If someone says, you know, 
you're in an argument, you're like, well, well let's look at what the Bible says. No, this isn't about the Bible. It's always about the Bible. There is no argument that someone can bring me that doesn't have spiritual connotations. Let's turn to John 8. We're going to start off in 34. Like I said, I know I went over this uh, before, but Jesus makes it very clear. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen of yours. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, We're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my words? Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of the father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the truth and the father of it. This is which of you convinceth me of sin, and if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? So, or actually, I got to continue in forty-seven. He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. So, if you are presenting something to someone and they don't agree with you. Today, you know, in those times, it was, hey, well, you don't understand because you're a Pharisee or you're a Sadducee. Or if you weren't such a follower of the Rodians, you would understand what I'm trying to say. Or in modern terms, well, it's because you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian. You just couldn't understand where I'm coming from. But Jesus made it very clear. He didn't call out anybody's point of view. He called out who they were. He said, I am the image of my father and you are the image of yours. I am doing the will of my Father, and you're doing the will of yours. This is not chaos. Their Father is teaching them. It's the exact opposite of chaos. So, when you think, or when you go to someone to ask them you know, what their point of view is on something, instead, you could just ask them, you know, who is your teacher? Who is your influencer? Where are you getting your inspiration? And most of the time today, well, MSNBC, Fox, CNN, pick your media source. Once you know who they listen to, you know what their point of view is. You don't have to ask them anything. So instead of someone asking someone, you know, what do you, what do you think about the riots? What do you think about the pandemic? What do you think about wearing masks or vaccines you can just ask them 
Where, where are you inspired? Who is your influencer? Who is your teacher? And that's what, if you uh, look up social media people, people who are popular on social media, they're not called bloggers anymore. They're called influencers. That's, the world knows what they're there for. They're there to influence you. They're there to teach you. They want you to copy them. And there's only three courses that these teachers or influencers are, are teaching. Hate, fear, or ignorance. If you want to ignore everything, just say hey, everything's fine. Just There's teachers for that. But most of them right now in today's day and age are just teaching fear and hate. And it's a heavy course load to take from any teacher. But people are eating it up. There's always something to be taught. Something to be learned. It doesn't matter. If somebody in this room, there's something that you should fear or hate. There's something that, you know, you should be afraid of, of the rioters coming. You should be afraid of the police coming. You should be afraid that if this vaccine doesn't come out, the whole world is just going to perish. There's no answers. There's just desperation. And it's not because people lost their way when all this stuff happened and now we don't know what to do. People lost their way years ago. This is just the product. This is the... This is what the outcome of losing your way is. This is what the outcome of going away from the Word of God is. Every day something else pops up where having Christian values is just less and less acceptable. And I've said before about the flat earth thing, I could go into a university and say, I believe the earth is flat. And I'd probably get some chuckles. I'd get a lot of discussions. But if I go into that same university and I say, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father is through Him, I'm going to get laughed at. I'm going to be instantly hated. Christianity today is considered hate speech by most of this world. But why would someone teach that this is hate? What's the purpose behind it? Why would someone want people to despise the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross? Let's turn to uh, 1 Kings 12. And the backstory of what's happening here Solomon turned away from God. So God split the kingdom into the northern ten tribes and the southern two. And gave the northern ten tribes to Jeroboam. And if Jeroboam had corrected his ways and set his heart to, to God, God would have made him the king forever there and his seed after him. He said the same thing to Solomon. If you'll follow me, I'll always be with you. So t- uh, We're going to pick up in 1225 there. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the Mount of Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David, If this people go up to sacrifice in the house of the Lord, 
at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of the people turn again to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. They shall kill me, and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and made two calves of gold, and said unto them, It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the hand, or out of Israel. And he set one in Bethel, and the other in Dan. And the thing became a sin for the people. To, uh, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan, and made of the house. Or made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. Levi, Jeroboam. Oh yeah, that's it. So the tribes here—they were all one nation at one time. They were all family. They were brothers and sisters. They had one God. But Jeroboam was evil, and he knew that God brings unity. God doesn't bring all of this division. So he had to teach them what was in his heart. He was too lazy to serve God. So what he said was, you know, it's, it's too much work to go to church there. It takes too much time to go to church two times a week. Well, I mean, look at those Levites. They're so strict. They're just not relatable. Aren't these guys that I made a little more relatable? Aren't they easier to follow? And they bought it hook, line, and sinker. Because from a natural standpoint, why wouldn't you? All you have to do to be in good graces with Jeroboam's God is enjoy yourself. That's all you have to do. In the modern day God, all you have to do is enjoy yourselves. No one doesn't matter how depraved it is it's it's really looked down upon to say someone shouldn't do something that's immoral just let them enjoy themselves it's not hurting you but if everybody's enjoying themselves why doesn't this world look like 8 billion people having a huge party why does why is the world burning before us not just america this whole world is having issues everything tends toward destruction but they're just enjoying themselves. Let's turn to uh, Hosea 9.19. It's right before the book of Joel. Or 9.17, my bad. There is no 19. It says, My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wonders among the nations. So people stopped going to church long ago. People were wanderers long ago. You know, when the government showed up and said, you can go to church, but you can't, you can't go to church, but you can go to the liquor store, it was, that makes sense because the liquor store is useful. To these people. Church isn't. When they showed up and said, okay, the Christians are, are whining a little bit too much. You can go to church, but don't worship God there. Don't sing out loud, because that's dangerous. People can't understand why Christians are so selfish that they would want to open their mouth and sing in church. It doesn't matter that's what God said to do. 
doesn't matter that God said how to worship him and how to, how to enjoy his presence and to come into his presence with a sacrifice of praise. doesn't matter. People just can't understand. And not that we needed a stage set for what's going on in the world today, but that's it. This is the world we're living in. And it goes back to how I opened up. What natural reason is there today to have hope or joy or be hopeful for the future? Naturally, there's nothing. Everybody can point to something. If you're a Democrat, well, November, Biden might get elected. There's something to be hopeful for. But if he doesn't, then that means you have no hope. If you're a Republican, Trump might get elected. There's something to be hopeful for. But if he doesn't, you have no hope. You have hope in something that you cannot control. You have hope in something physical. So, why is everybody depressed? And that's why. The world today is being taught to be depressed. Depression has become mainstream. Everybody has some form of depression. If you don't have some form of depression, you're a weird one. If you're not visiting a psychiatrist, you're just denying your depression. And they know a good one, you can see. But these influencers, the number one, from what I did in my research, the number one influencer for girls 10 to 12 years old is a singer called Billie Eilish. She sings about making bad choices and feeling depressed afterwards. Suicidal thoughts. So these young girls, these young children are being taught, you make the bad choices, they're fun. It's not strange to feel depressed. That's what everybody feels. Doesn't, doesn't change... Don't change, you know, and do something that's not going to give you suicidal thoughts. That's what, that's what everybody feels. That's what, that's what she feels, and she's popular. And they want to be depressed. They want to be like their teachers. And I was going to read some of the lyrics to give you guys an idea of what our children are being taught, but I'd have to take out so much to make it suitable for a church, it wouldn't be understandable. It's bad. We are living in the days of Judges 17. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, so everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. In 2020, God is not the king of the hearts of America. So everybody's just doing what's right in their own eyes. But if they're doing what's right in their own eyes, why are they depressed? It may be right in their eyes, but their heart still condemns them. The Bible says it would. It doesn't matter what they say. They just entertain themselves enough that they don't have to think about it. I like what Leonard Ravenhill says about entertainment the most. He said he believes that entertainment is the devil's substitute for peace. And it is. They may have fun, but they don't have peace. They may enjoy themselves and entertain themselves, but when the entertainment stops, they have to listen to their conscience. That's why everybody's depressed. They have to listen to their heart, telling them all you're holding on to is a feeling. Now they don't even have anything physical to hope for. Psychology Today says that we are facing a suicide epidemic because of this year. 
they're expecting just, and I'm pretty sure it already has started, but they're expecting just a huge spike people are, of people killing themselves. Because every single time it gets close, that gets pushed a little further back. Well, it'll be normal here. It'll be normal here. And people are tired of waiting. And there isn't as much entertainment right now. There's nothing open. There's not as much entertainment to distract a sinner from the depression that just always lurks waiting for him to think about it, him or her. In Romans 2.15, you don't have to turn to it, it says, which shew forth the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts the meaning while excusing or excusing one another. So even if the wicked are outwardly excusing themselves of it, their conscience doesn't. They're telling somebody else, it's okay for you to do what you're doing. But they know deep down they're giving bad advice. They know deep down they're bringing depression on someone else for the stuff that they're going to do. And there's no exception to the rule. You can be distracted, but if you are not a Christian, you don't have peace. You can have happiness, enjoy for a moment, but you cannot have peace. You can only be distracted from the depression that's laying there because you know where you're going. The world knows where it's going. And even a step further, if, you're not, if you are a Christian and you're not right with God, you still can't have peace. That's even worse. Anybody who has gone through a point in time where they haven't been right with God, they know that, that pressure, that depression that's just sitting there. What if today's the day? Yeah, there's an old song that I can read some of the lyrics to by Simon and Garfunkel. It's called The Sound of Silence. And I don't know the lifestyle they lived, but they were practicing Jews, so I'm assuming they knew the Bible really well. Um, not the Bible, but the Tanakh, which is the Bible without recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. So the words and stories and just no hope in life that comes with Jesus having died for our sins. But... They wrote the song in 1963, and I think it's more relevant now than it was then. And it starts out, the very first line of the song is, Hello, darkness, my old friend, I've come to speak to you again. And it's, they were folk singers, so it's kind of lighthearted music, but it's not lighthearted words. But he goes on, talking about this dream he had, which is why he wrote the song, where he sees 10,000 people sitting in silence, writing songs that they're never going to sing, because their God told them to sit in silence. And this is paraphrasing a little bit, but this part here is exact wording. It says, Then they all bowed and prayed to a neon God they made because it lit up and said what they told it to say. They created their own God, but when it had enough power to light up and they saw what they created, they obeyed it. There's a, I don't remember the exact passage, but there's a point in time in the Bible where it says that they go out and they cut these trees down, and they make themselves a house, and there's some scrap wood left over, and they say, oh, I could make a bed with this, or some furniture, they make some furniture, and there's some scrap wood left over that's not worth anything, just kindling, but somebody carves an image into it, oh man, God is before us, and they use it as an idol. He saw no hope in 1963 because of what was going on around him. And he didn't have Christ. This is a a famous, wealthy, 
person. By outward appearances, why would he be depressed in any way? He has everything that anyone in here would be happy to have, except for salvation. I was looking up 1963, which is when the song came out, trying to figure out what he was going through. And one of the articles said that it was, it was the year of the revolution, the year the youth changed the world through art, fashion, and music. That was the year that Kennedy was assassinated. Everybody had hope in him. Not everybody, but a lot of people did. And it was just taken from them. Civil rights protests were happening all over America. The Ku Klux Klan was bombing African-American leaders, homes and businesses, and in retaliation, they were bombing white homes and businesses. All that and saying, I could swap the date on those articles, and besides the names, no one would know the difference. The exact same thing was happening then that's happening now. And the world was in turmoil, and most people didn't think they were going to survive past the 60s. I remember we had a guest speaker here, I think he was either 60s or 70s, he said when he got saved, the pastor came up to him and said, you got in right under the line, there's almost, there's almost no time left. It was bad. But like in that song, today people have made their own gods. Once you have this idea that you've thought up or this idea that you've been taught, and then that phone pops up with a news article that agrees with you, I knew it. That's, I knew that's what was, the truth was, because you knew it, because you made your own god. That's why people are depressed. That's why... The biggest God out there right now is hate. Apparently, I'm supposed to hate Manny because he's black. And he's supposed to hate me because I'm white. He's supposed to hate himself because he hates me and I'm supposed to hate myself because I hate him. That's the rules. Self-hate is the goal. Because if I can get myself, or if the devil can get me to hate myself so much, that I don't think I'm worthy that God's going to save me. And I've been there. As a Christian, I've been there. Like, man, I've fallen so far. What's the point? There's actually a game out there people played for years where you judge how much someone hates or likes something or hates something else and loves themselves or something. And it's usually played by people who know each other because it would go something like I would say, okay. If you say, yes, Kentucky wins one national championship, but Louisville wins three, would you do it? Me, I would say no. But the whole idea of the game is just to judge your love and hate. And I saw a comic strip or a meme, whatever you want to call it, where it shows this guy sitting there and he's thinking really, really hard. And the guy next to him says, if you say yes, you get $50 million. But the person you hate the most gets $100 million. In the next picture, he's just jumping up and down excited. He says, I'm going to get $150 million. So, it's kind of funny. The guy hated himself, so he's going to get all the money. But it's a really good representation of the world today. People hate themselves. 
And because they hate themselves, they think everyone else hates them. But God says in His Word that people will hate themselves if they don't follow Him. If you turn with me to Ezekiel 9. Or 6, 6. Or read verse 9. And they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations, whither they shall be carried captives, because I am broken with their whorish hearts, which have departed from me, and with their eyes which go a whoring after their idols, and they shall loathe themselves for the evil which they have committed in all their abominations. Just like in Jeroboam's time, our God has been removed from us. Both by our political and our religious leaders. He can't be erased, but it can be harder to find. It used to be, no matter where you went in this country, you could find someone or something that was geared toward Jesus. You can't go into a school and find the Ten Commandments. My sister-in-law was nearly let go because she had a Bible on her desk. God has been removed from us. And what are our leaders saying right now? There's no talk of God. They're saying, hey, don't, don't trust in God. That's too much work to trust in God. Just wait till this vaccine comes out. And as long as everybody takes it, everything will go back to normal. But everybody won't take it. So those people that don't take it just hate them and shame them into taking it. Or you can trust in God. But just trust that God will make the vaccine come out quicker and then that he'll make everybody take it. That's something you can trust in. At least that's logical. But it all comes back to self. You have to put your trust in someone else who's putting their trust in themselves. You know, as a teacher, or as a, as a Christian, I find myself walking down this path. I just start reciting the woes of the world and I'm just even studying for this and going through this and and then reading the stuff about 1963. It's like, well, not only is there no hope, but it looks like even if we get out of it, we're going to go through it again. And I have to check myself. There were several times over the past couple weeks when I was studying for this that we were just discussing what's going on in the world with with different Christians and they would just make a comment well you know that's thank God that's not where our hope is and I was like oh yeah I need to snap out of this real quick and I wish it was me that said that but it helped me with this and one of the biggest things I started looking it's like well what was being said in the 60s who were the most prominent voices in the 60s as far as spiritual goes You had Martin Luther King and Billy Graham. Now, they weren't the end-all, be-all, but they spoke the word with boldness. So there was that little bit of hope there, but what do we have now? We have Joel Olstein who's telling people, you just have to be happy. That's what life is about, just gaining happiness. And then that's how you know you're right with God. So just entertain yourself until until that happens. You have... um, Andy Stanley. Suzanne just 
never preach from the Old Testament. It's just stories, some historical value, but there's no, there's no spiritual value there. Just ignore it. Oh, Lord, it's just, it's blind leaders of the blind. Well, going through this, I was asking myself, I said, should I feel depressed? Should a Christian feel depression? Should a Christian feel this stuff? And then I started reading the Psalms. Anyone who's ever read the Psalms where David is struggling, there's no other answer for that besides he was depressed. He was feeling the weight of his actions. Sometimes because of um, sins that he committed and sometimes just because he was a man of God, there was people always against him. But let's go ahead and turn to Psalms 38 and get an idea of what he felt, what he went through whenever he was going through a trial that was his fault. It says, Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chastise me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presses sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over mine head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble, sore broken. I have roared by the reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desires before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all day long. But as a deaf man I heard not, and as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord. For I said, Hear me, lest another otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquities. I will be sorry for my sins. But mine enemies are lively, and they that are strong, and they are strong. And they that hate me are wrongfully multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that is good. Forsake me not, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And God is angry with David. Really angry. And through this whole psalm, it seems like, oh, it's going to turn a corner to where it's going to have some victory here. And then it's just right back down to... No victory. And it goes back to him begging, just, God, help me. Where are you? Why are you? know, He knows why. He doesn't actually ask why in this. A lot of the cases he asks why. But in this he knows it was his own sin. He said, my, you know, my sin, it weighs on me. 
The Bible says you know, we're supposed to seek God while He is near. Well, David it appears here, he's seeking, seeking Him until He is near. He says, I don't feel God anywhere close, but I'm going to keep on looking until He's close enough to find. And in the beginning it says that His arrows are sticking fast in Him. That's another reason to show that He's not close. Because you don't shoot arrows standing next to somebody. You shoot arrows from a distance. And most of the psalm reads like a hopeless man that if you gave this to a psychiatrist today, they would say, put him on a suicide watch. Because it doesn't show any point in time in this where he's hopeful. He goes through describing how bad his wounds are. So they're so bad they're rotting. But Lord, my desires before you, you can hear my groanings. There's the difference that a psychiatrist wouldn't catch. How, no matter how bad it is, he's like, okay, here's how bad it is, but I know you can hear me. doesn't matter how far you off you are, I know you can hear me. My strength is failing. My enemies are gearing up to strike. Everyone has left me. Even my family or friends are standing afar off from me. But, my, but Lord, my hope is not in my friends, it's in you. There's the difference. It says, Lord, if you don't hear me, they win. I'm ready to quit. So he says, I'm ready to halt. I'm ready to quit. My sorrow, it's too much for me. He says, I will be sorry for my sins, but my enemies don't care. He says, you have to be quick to help me because you're my only salvation. See, this is, this is where... I'm thankful I had time to get to. This is where it changes for a Christian. We are going through the exact same thing everyone else in the world is going through. But our hope isn't in the world. No matter how bad it is, no matter how many arrows are stuck into us, whether it's our fault or, or not, our hope is in salvation. And I know in the beginning it says, his arrows stuck into him. But it also says his hand is on him, pressing him sore. So it seems like a contradiction why you would you shoot from a distance, but your hand would be uh, still on him. But Isaiah says his hand isn't, his arm isn't short. But that's also a sense of relief. Because if you look at it, if he was close enough to press on him with his hand, he could have just struck him down with a sword instead of sticking him with arrows. That was God's mercy. And back in Ezekiel 9, it explains why this happens. He says, God says, you guys have broke my heart. You've broken me because you're leaving me for someone else. His, my, uh, his gift was free. But he says they're whoring themselves out to someone else. And he said, so... He put his hand on David so David could feel the weight of his sin. Feel what God was going through when he broke his heart that he would sin before him. He could feel the weight of it without paying the price for it. There's the difference. In our moments of desperation. See, depression is something that sticks with you. And depression can't stick with you if you're following God. You can be desperate. I believe it's very clear here, David was desperate. And if that desperation had lasted, it would have been depression. 
Because no human being can survive feeling the weight of their own sin. That's why God paid the price for it. Let's turn to Psalms 30. And this is the other side of that psalm. I don't know about that psalm specifically, but it's the other side of that feeling from that psalm specifically. It says, I will extol thee, O Lord, thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, hast, thou hast brought me up my soul from the grave, thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints, and, uh, saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For the anger endureth but for a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but it, the joy comes in the morning. In my prosperity, I said, I, was, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong, and thou did hide my face, and I was troubled. I cried unto thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth. Thou hast girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praises to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. And if you go through every part of that psalm, which is why I probably should have researched those two together, every answer... For every problem he had in um, Psalm 38, it's like, you know, my wounds were rotting. Lord, you've healed me. My enemies were after me, but Lord, they didn't rejoice over me. This is, Lord, you will save me because you're Lord. Lord, I will praise you because you're Lord. Lord, you will and Lord, you have. Now, these are the, are the more fun psalms to read because the other ones cause a lot more thought. But this is why I hope. This is what I have to hope in. This is my teacher. I could care less. I couldn't care less. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a bad feeling about it. But I should care less about what whatever talking heads in the media say. About whatever horrible things are coming. I can hope in this. Despite it. It's because I've seen God work before. Just Thursday or Friday. One of the most depressing points in time as a brother. I, I spent hours arguing with two of my sisters over whether or not prostitution should be legalized and a respected form of work. Just because if it's not, it's going to hurt their feelings. My brother brought up a scripture to prove the point that we were making there. And you know, I brought up all these statistics. But as soon as the scripture was brought up, one of my sister's comment was, Ooh, Bible. I cut. That cut me hard. I lost the majority of all hope. For my sisters, I'm saying, wow. There's that fear at any point in time. I know where they end up. They don't just not you know not care to read it. They hate 
the Word of God. And they make fun of the Word of God. But then I was reminded I got a brother that I didn't speak to for years. I didn't think I'd ever speak to him. And it wasn't because of something I did. It wasn't because of anything I worked up. God worked with him. And one day he just walked into my shop and gave me a hug. It, it, it broke me down there, but in a good way. He's one of my closest friends. He was before, and then there was nothing. And then he's one of my closest friends again. I had to remind myself, you know, I spent years in Psalms 38, knowing that my sins were why me and my wife couldn't have kids knowing that it was my fault that we were being punished for that. But I have two kids now. And I have one on the way. As a Christian, there's always hope. There's always a way out. If, if I didn't have this church home to come to, if I didn't have a word spoken to me that was truth, I wouldn't have made it through. Because the easy thing to do would just been to have, have left Laura and she can have kids with someone else. Someone who, who didn't have that sin in them. But because this is my teacher, I'm still here. Because this is my teacher, I can stand up here and admit that. I'm going to end on one more psalm. Let's turn to 121. This is why we have to spread the Word of God. This is why we have to spread this even to someone like my sister who hates God. Even to anybody you can, anybody in here can pick somebody that they just wish wasn't around. But the Word of God can break these people. The Word of God can break the people that hate you the most. The Word of God is where our hope comes from. Let's read there the whole Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up my eyes unto the hill from whence my hope, my help cometh. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. I will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forward and forevermore. That is the message. From the moment that you accept Him, that's your promise. From that point in time and forevermore, God will preserve you. doesn't matter if you're going out or coming in. He is Lord over everything. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I pray that uh, 
that you will bless the rest of this day. You'll bless the traveling home. And I pray that, that your word will be spoke to the lost. That the desperation, the depression, and the acceptance of it will be changed. That these people will see that there is hope. There is peace. There is true joy. That there is a way through whatever trial they're going through as a Christian. There, there is a way out and through a trial if they're not. I pray that you will bless the work and the spreading of your word. pray that you will protect those that are doing so. I pray that your hand will just be on each and every one of us. That your word will grow and live in our hearts. That your joy and happiness your peace and your strength will grow inside of us and be strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen.